Would it be all right with you if life got easier? Because that's what Dr. Maria Nemeth would like. Nemeth is an author, master coach, transformational seminar leader, and healer. Her highly acclaimed book, Mastering Life's Energies, is where today's lesson comes from. Designed and refined over decades of work with people all over the world, her luminous life method turns timeless wisdom into practical skills that have helped tens of thousands to live and serve with clarity, focus, ease, and grace. I am Maria Nemeth, and this is a lesson on luminosity. So what is your earliest memory of being creative? God, what a great question. When I was about eight years old, I had a dog. Her name was Bitsy, a Dachshund, a black dog. And I wanted to vitamins. And so I, poor Bitsy, I would, I would take these little dog biscuits and I'd uh, chop them up. And then I'd take other stuff like wheat germ and a few other things. I think I even mixed at one point with cod liver oil because in those days my mom was making us take cod liver oil, which was just ghastly. Anyway, poor Bitsy, I would, I would hold her by her little muzzle and she just had this, this look of utter resignation in her eyes because she knew what was coming. And I would spoon this into her mouth, you know, and just, this is going to make you feel a lot better, Bitsy. Of course, she wasn't sick. Oh, no. Bitsy allowed me to be creative as a doctor. <laughs> yeah. And do you consider yourself a healer now? Because I do think of you as a healer. Well, you know, I'll just say yes. And the reason I'm saying yes to you, Kim, it's very vulnerable that kind of a question. And, and I could demure and say, oh, no, you know, not really. But yes, in my presence, people begin to experience who they really are. And I say that is the essence of healing. When you see truly not who you're afraid you are, not who you pretend to be, but when you see who you really are and the contribution you're here to make in life. And I would say that's pretty much for me, the essence of, of healing. And so in that context, I would answer, yes, I'm a healer. <laughs> yes. And that relates to luminosity, which is what we we're talking about today, because you, you say that luminosity is about living the life you were meant to live without running yourself into the ground and driving those around you crazy. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> and, and, and you talk about it as being a calling too. Yes. which I thought was interesting. Can you speak a little bit more about this? Yes. I love definitions, Kim. And so uh, my definition of a calling is something that grabs your heart and will not let it go until you follow where your heart leads you. And a calling can last a lifetime. For me, my calling began when I was around 23 years old and my mother had a very difficult time in life and ultimately killed herself. And oh, I'm sorry. It was because in those days, back in the day, we didn't have the kinds of antidepressants and things that we have today to help people with depression. Mm -hmm. So her depression was just never ending. Now, mm. what happened at that point? 
yes, there was a lot of grief. And years later, now this is years later, I see it was at that point that I decided that I didn't want people to ever have the experience, at least people in my presence, of regret that their Mm -hmm. life wasn't worth anything. Years ago, a fellow by the name of Buckminster Fuller, who was the inventor of the geodesic dome, he tells the story of his own personal transformation when he was in his late 30s. He was up near a lake, and he was in severe depression. His life was, for him, a nothing life. And he was considering killing himself because it was a throwaway life. But at that particular moment, he had a transformation. He said, you know, since my life is a throwaway life anyway, I'm just going to push it to the side. I'm not Mm going to even worry about it anymore. It's a throwaway life. I'm going to spend the rest of my life contributing. (laughs) And out of that personal transformation, he did so many things for us, including, as I said, the geodesic dome and many of his philosophical principles. So getting back to my own mother, I think that at that point, she didn't have access to that sort of transformation. And at that moment that I decided to do whatever I could to have people have a transformation in their life so that Mm -hmm. they could see that their life does mean something. That by the very fact that they are here, living on this planet, that they're here to make a contribution, and that all is well. And so you could see that, uh, in a a particular way, the calling took root in my heart. And, you know, it's been, um, (laughs) at this point, I have been working with people, either as a psychologist or as a coach, but always with that same impetus. I've been working with people now for over 50 years. Wow. Over half a century. And so my quote advice to people is that if ever you have something that looks like a calling, let it grab you. Mm. Because where it will lead you up and down, you know, through wonderful times and difficult times, but there will always be a sense that you are doing what you're meant to be doing on this planet. And that, I say, is the true nature of healing. Yeah, I, I'm i wowing myself sitting here <laughs> enveloped, <laughs> enveloped. So you talk in your book, Mastering Life's Energies, in terms of, again, the call to light, the call to your heart, listening to your heart. You talk about luminosity as clarity and focus, ease and grace and action. Yes, it is which I think is so interesting. You said it can't be invoked by psychological insight or analysis. It's fresh. Luminosity doesn't comb its hair, but rather lets the winds of life blow freely through it. Yes, exactly. How is being luminous different than being happy? (laughs) That's so great. That's such a a great question. And might I tell you a story that illustrates it? Yes, I would love it. And I think it's illustrated in my, in my book, too. And it has to do with my mother. When I was young, my mother had a very successful chain of bakeries in Los Angeles. And when I started working there, I think I must have been about 14 years old. I wanted to earn money. And so I would wash dishes in the sink in the kitchen of this bakery. 
And one day, as I was washing dishes, I noticed that there was this tub of warm icing. And it was like this dark chocolate icing with a thin butter layer on top, you know, and you could smell it. And it was just almost like beckoning. And my mom was standing at the doorway and she was looking at me and she said to me, okay, Maria, just do it. So I rolled my sleeve up and I plunged my whole arm into this chocolatey, dark, sweet, gooey stuff. And I took my arm out and I licked it and I had chocolate all over me. And literally I smelled like chocolate and butter for about a week. Now in that moment, I was happy. Mm. I was absolutely happy. Now there is a difference between happiness and a luminous moment. And the story about luminosity I was 13 years old, and I had been saving up money to buy my mother a Mother's Day gift. And I remember taking the bus by myself, which was really huge in those days. And I went to a, a department store to buy my mother something for Mother's Day. And I had saved $20 up, which for me in those days was a lot of money. And I remember going to the counter and looking all over and I found this, this pin, which is a, a sheaf of wheat, gold plated. And the woman at the counter, she saw how excited I was. She said, okay, how much money do you have? And I told her, she said, that's a perfect amount. To this day, I don't know how much it costs, you know, <laughs> but she, she wrapped it for me because I told her exactly what it was for. Now, all the way home, because the next day was Mother's Day, I was worried. I was worried because I saw, in my mind, my mother was the epitome of style and creativity. Mm -hmm. She really was, you know. She had an operatic voice, among other things. She was a painter. I mean, she, this is just a, a Renaissance woman. And I was thinking, you know, I don't know if this pin is really going to mean anything. And <laughs> Mother's Day comes, and I hand her this, and I'm very nervous. And she opens it, and she sees this pin with a sheaf of wheat. And at that moment, she says to me, honey, this is the perfect gift you could ever have given me. Mm -hmm. It reminds me of the bakery, and I just love it. Mm -hmm. Now, years later, to this day, my mom has left me many different things. And most of the things she's left me have been stolen, burglarized, mm -hmm. all except for this gold sheaf of wheat. Mm. And every time I put it on, I can see my mother's eyes at the moment that she opened that gift. The difference between happiness and a luminous moment is this. When I was with that chocolate, I knew that my mother loved me very clearly. But in a luminous moment, I knew that my mother knew how much I loved her. And that is luminosity. And you see, a luminous moment sometimes can be happy, sometimes can have a little sadness attached to it. Mm -hmm. It's a state of being. And happiness is an emotion. And emotions come and go. You know, you can be happy and sad within the space of 20 minutes, 
any given day. But a luminous moment stays because it latches onto your heart. Are there practices that inspire luminosity more than others? Are there things we can do as women to create those luminous moments or are they just random beautiful gifts? Oh no, there, there are many things you can do to create luminous moments and actually that's what my work has been about now. You know, specific things that, that you can do. One thing that does create this sense of luminosity is to engage in a certain process that I'm going to tell you about, okay? The process is all about finding what I call your inner standards of integrity. Hmm. The standards of integrity are those golden values that you hold inside of you that really mean something. And that every time you remember what these values are, it empowers you to create luminous moments. So to give you a one minute rundown on how to do it, <laughs> imagine people who you see are inspirational leaders, you know, the Michelle Obamas, for me, the Eleanor Roosevelt's, the, you know, whoever it is in your life who is an inspirational leader and make a list of at least five of these people. Then for each person, write down the qualities that you admire in them. For example, are they generous? Are they courageous? Are they compassionate? Are they spiritual? Are they creative? What are these values, these qualities? that you appreciate about them. Sit with those qualities. Let them soak inside of you because this is the bottom line, Kim. The qualities that you see in other people, those are the qualities that you have inside of you. And that's what women need more and more, to be able to sink inside of ourselves to see what it is we value and to be willing to claim it and use it on a day-to-day -day basis. Mm -hmm. What also comes to mind is the qualities of integrity and honesty are more valued by women than they are by men in studies. Women appreciate honesty and, and integrity more in a leader. Do you think that women lead differently? That's such a good question. There's so much research on that and the differences. So to answer that in a moment is a little bit difficult. Yes, women lead differently unless they think that in order to become successful, they must take on some of the attributes they see men demonstrating in their leadership. Mm -hmm. However, this is with a caveat. There are men leaders who are truly powerful and inspirational that don't have the usual posturing and, you know, chest beating. And, <laughs> you know, I think of Barack Obama for me is, mm -hmm. is one and Mahatma Gandhi. Mm. You know, there are so many people who are more interested, I would say, in, in creating luminosity than in anything mm. else. While women do lead differently, it's important for us not to have too much bifurcation, division, I say that we're at a point now in our journey together as a species where we have to learn to come together and recognize with both men and women, what are the values 
that we really need on this planet at this moment to handle some of the incredible issues that we're here to handle. So a long-winded answer for you is, yes, women tend to lead differently, but there is universal leadership principles that everybody needs to adopt. When we all adopt them, that's when we're going to solve a lot of the problems that we have today. You know, you were told the story about your mom with mental health, and there are statistics that show that we're only 8% of the research subject studies in medical tests and data. You know, it's pathetic and horrifying. So as more of us use our voices and become luminous, I believe, live those, those qualities that were perhaps associated with powerful men leaders, I would see, I would argue that Barack is kind of feminine in his leadership style. Well, you know, I would say that what we're really looking at rather than men and women, we're looking at something I would call ontological leadership. And Mm. um, uh, let me define for you what I mean by that. Okay. Ontology is one of the four domains of metaphysics Mm. uh, that concern itself with Uh, our experience in life. There is psychology, which is the study of our thoughts and feelings. There is ontology, the study of the nature of being. There's theology, the study of the nature of the various forms of God. And then cosmology, the study of the nature of the universe and creation. Mm -hmm. Now, my work, at least for the past 35 years, has been centered upon ontology because at the heart of luminosity, is they are ways of being. Yes. Okay. Now, ontology has no gender. Mm. Ontology is a way of being, which when it's brought forth, heals and inspires all. There was a a man by the name of Doug Hammarskjöld. He was the second secretary general of the United Nations. And he had a wonderful quote that for me, is at the heart of ontology. He said, for everything that has been, I say thank you. Mm. That means everything in his life. Mm -hmm. For everything that has been, I say thank you. And to all that is yet to be, I say yes. Mm. And what he's pointing to is this ontological quality known as being willing. And I think I read about that in my book, Mastering Life's Energies. Being willing, Kim, is the most powerful trait that we have. It's our capacity to say yes, no matter what we're thinking or feeling, no matter what our doubts and worries are. For example, I'm now writing my fourth book and it's on coaching. And I have the same doubts and worries that I've always had writing the other three. You think they're going to go away. They don't. That's a whole other (laughs) subject, you know, but if I say to myself, nevertheless, I am willing, I'm worried about it. I don't think I can. Nevertheless, I'm willing. Mm -hmm. That gives me the impetus to do it. Looking at some of these universal ontological principles is a way of uniting everyone on the plane of being. And that is where I think we need to go. We need to go beyond gender. We have to go beyond gender in order to
create the world that is here to be created. And one of the things that I've noticed, Kim, in working with young people now, 23, I was 24, just going to say that. They're beyond, they're not interested in gender. They're anymore. not interested in gender, many of them. And, and yeah. I, I'm seeing there the kind of breakthrough that needs to happen for all of us. I wanted to speak about something and then I'll, I'll wrap us up, but just this notion of nevertheless, I am willing. Yes. And when you take on a new part of your vision yes, and you have to cross the border. Yes. <laughs> I know what that is, but I would love for you to explain what that is. And then all of the energy that's required to do that how do we remain luminous while we are crossing the border? Well, uh, I love your questions because they ask of me to give something like an hour and a half talk. Oh, no, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> we'll have to have a part two. <laughs> yeah, sorry. we might have to have a part two. Uh, <laughs> however, uh, my belief is also if, if you can't say something simply, you don't know what you're talking about. There are two domains that you and I are here to live with. One is visionary reality. Many people call it metaphysical reality. And then there is physical reality. And the operating principles are different for each of these domains. Where metaphysical or visionary reality is the home of our ideas, dreams, vision, and physical reality is the home of the absolute concrete results that we produce out of our ideas, dreams, and vision. As you go from your vision into physical reality to do the thing, we pass by something called trouble at the border. And this is a common experience that, I mean, everyone, you can imagine after working with people for over 50 years, I've seen one or two people hit this, this border, yes? One or two, <laughs> right? And this trouble at the border experience is very difficult for us because that's when our doubts and our worries and our fears grow very, very loud. And it's harder to do things that, that you wanted to do. One, one man said to me, Maria, it's like I have this dream of, uh, of opening this business. And as I start doing something, it's like I'm standing on the beach and I'm being hit with a wave of cold water, you know? Everyone experiences it. So the first thing to do is recognize that when you're at the border, it means that you're doing something right, not something wrong. When you hear those doubts, worries, and fears, they are a sign of your commitment. It's a sign that all is well. One way to go past the border, take one small, sweet step. Do not promise too much to do. You've got to start with these small, sweet steps because really the, the definition of success is doing what I said I would do consistently with clarity, focus, ease, and grace. Where clarity is about being clear about what it is I'm doing. Focus is about learning to focus my brain to keep going. Ease is about taking small, sweet steps and grace is about being grateful for the journey. There is that place that we have to go through, Kim, 
and there are no shortcuts. If I asked you to complete this sentence, my wish for every other woman is that she sees that she is fully equipped to be on her hero's journey, that there is nothing wrong with her. One of the things I ask people is, would it be okay to discover there's nothing wrong with you? If you have doubts and worries, join the club. You are here to make a contribution. You have all of the answers when you ask the right questions. Be visible. Speak your truth. Every other woman needs you to lead. Voice Lessons is produced, written, and spoken by me, Kim Cutable. It's also produced and edited by Sergio Miranda and associate produced by Jessica Manalga. Our music was created by singer-songwriter Claire Hamill. You can find out when we post new episodes when you subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, etc. And if you liked what you've heard, we would love it if you leave us a review. You can join our community at Facebook forward slash Voice Lessons Podcast to speak with me live after every episode is posted. And if you have a question or comment or want to suggest a guest, you can do it there. Or if you're on Instagram, tag us at Voice Lessons Podcast and use the hashtag LessonUp. For other inspiration, updates, and show notes, subscribe at VoiceLessonsPodcast.com.